When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 45. Today's episode is all about body mindfulness to manage stress and build emotional strength. Our body is a mirror. It is actually expressing our state of mind. So becoming more aware of how my body is responding can allow me to grow the skill of being more conscious, to be a little more relaxed. So to really work with our attitude from the body outwards, that's where the difference comes in. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First off, Mind Love is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can get all of your favorite podcasts. It has a super clean layout and you can create playlists and download episodes to play offline. It's my personal favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. Don't worry, you can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests. Plus, it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. I am excited about this episode. Okay, I'm excited about all of the episodes. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing them. But this is one of those that is so full of actionable tips that you can apply immediately to completely change how you feel in a specific situation. There's this TED Talk on power posing that I mentioned in last week's episode, which basically talks about this concept where we can change our posture or how we're carrying ourselves and our emotions will follow. Our body will reflect our mood. We all know that our posture will slump when we're feeling defeated and we frown when we're feeling sad, but there's a lot of research that that can also be reversed. Kind of like those times when we fake sick at work or school and suddenly we wonder, wait, why do I feel so blah right now? Or how faking a smile with intention behind it suddenly uplifts our spirits a little bit. So today, we're learning about how body awareness can help you change your mind and therefore your experience of life. We have the power and the choice to improve our physical health, our brain functioning, our energy levels, reduce stress, boost happiness, build emotional resilience, and basically improve the overall quality of our lives. It just takes a choice and a little bit of action. And normally, the how is a little bit more subjective than it's going to be today. Today, you're going to learn exactly how to flip those feelings around. And the cool thing is these tips and tricks aren't even that hard to learn. Once you get the patterns down of how these work, you can almost guess a whole slew of other body hacks. Our guest today is best-selling author and psychologist Noah Belling. Not only does Noah have a master's degree in somatic psychology, which is body-mind psychology, she has over a decade of teaching this stuff, she runs a private psychotherapy practice, and she does talks and workshops as well. 
Along with all of those super impressive accolades, she also wrote the book, The Mindful Body, which is a great book for those of us that like a really scientific approach to mindfulness. I'm a little bit bummed though, because for some reason there's a little distortion in the audio of today's episode. And I'm not sure why, but I spent hours trying to fix it for you guys. And it's definitely improved. So hopefully the random little clicks and squeaks won't bug you guys too much. But I think this episode is too full of gold for you guys to even notice. Three key things we will learn are how the mind lives in the body, how to add intention to our body's instincts, and a ton of really simple but powerful body hacks to actually change our state of consciousness. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the best way to stay in your highest frequency between episodes. Thousands of listeners are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power so you can start each day with your best mindset. Just go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven methods from the most successful people in the world to automate your highest decisions. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set with a binaural frequency known as the Miracle Tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. Then it's layered with affirmations to perfectly tune your frequency for transformation. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Noah Belling to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's start out with a little background of who you are, what you do, and how you became interested in these little mindful body hacks. I started out as a dancer and danced for about 20 years. And for me, that was always therapy. I then thought I invented a field called movement therapy, beginning to consider, wow, how might I apply this to benefit people, to help people experience. Even in my dancing, and I used to teach a little bit as well, I used to be fascinated in the quality of the movement and what the energy was that people were bringing to their movement as opposed to the technique that for me made the difference between those who really would catch my eye on stage. They'd have like a soulfulness or a way that they really embody in such a beautiful way. From there, I worked a lot in the yoga field and wrote a few books. My first few books are on yoga. And then I was fortunate enough to do a master's degree in somatic psychology, which looks at the body and the mind connection in psychology, which I studied in the U.S. And that really allowed me to dive deep into really two ways that I see the body as mindful. The one is looking at it from a psychological perspective and saying, how can body awareness help us? I was fascinated with this seeing, especially as I had a yogic background, with looking at an Eastern view of psychology combining with a Western view. And what's the difference in a simple nutshell is in a Western view of psychology, we look at categorizing, analyzing the mind. So you need to have a symptom and it lasts this long. And these are the kind of visible symptoms that you have, how it affects your life, how it impacts your work, etc. So things that you can think through and in a logical way identify what a person's mental condition is. From an Eastern psychology point of view, what fascinated me was the view of be still and observe. How do the yogis, how do the meditators, Buddhism is really a philosophy of how to advance the mind and how to work with suffering as our human condition. 
And their view is be still, go inwards, and let's observe. Let's be quiet. Let's listen. And sometimes you can even observe through movement or through mindful walking. Simply a quality of mindfulness to be able to observe how I go about my way of living that informs how I progress psychologically. So that really captured my fascination. And since then, that was about a good 15 years ago, I've had the privilege to teach courses on somatic psychology for years at college, mainly in South Africa, and really discovered how students were hungry for this information. People seem to be hungry. We live in such a heady world, such a world where people are thinking and figuring out so intensely and having to meet the onslaught of so much information information coming at us and available to us in this information age, that coming into the body just seemed to be such a breath of fresh air. And so writing the book felt like a natural extension of that, of really wanting to share this work. I definitely think it's so needed. Regular listeners of this show know that the last few years have been a lot of self-discovery for just learning about my own body, recovering from an eating disorder, an Adderall prescription, depression meds, Especially in the West, we just don't learn to listen to our bodies. We learn to override it. So we have to reset our thinking completely. But even just that first step of scanning my body and bringing awareness to what I'm feeling has made me realize so much more about myself. When we are scanning our bodies, what is it that we're looking for? We're looking for various things. I love to get practical. Is we, we can't know what this is about unless we try something. So hopefully we'll get a few opportunities to try on different things. Let's look at a body scan and then I will give you a few different possibilities of what it might offer for you. So let's say right now we took maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute or so, it doesn't need to be long, to scan our body from head down to toe. And as you're doing that, just notice where you feel comfortable. Maybe you want to make an adjustment or realize you're holding your breath a little bit. Just move down from head to your toe and make yourself feel a little more comfortable. And I'm doing this as I'm speaking as well. And I'm noticing I'm sitting slightly on my right hip and I'm evening myself out. That feels a little more grounded. Now I feel a little more centered. Now I'm aware a bit of my legs. And so you would might progress. So I'm going to be quiet for a moment just to allow you to complete. And then I'm curious to ask you, Melissa, just with this small intervention, what's happened for you in this moment? And then I'll speak a little bit about what the benefits could be. I realized in my shoulders, they weren't really hunched, probably thanks to 11 years of yoga, <laughs> but they were still kind of pointing forward. I was also holding tension in a few spots, especially in my neck. And last, I was leaning more weight on my right butt cheek than on my left. So I just evened everything out. Right. So let's start with that. The first thing that is most obvious is we tend to notice. I have a funny story with a friend of mine, and she always hears me speaking about these things. And in a conversation, when she says, I was driving this morning and I remembered you, and I was, I noticed that I was sitting with my shoulders up near my ears. She was waiting at a traffic light. And instantly in that moment, it's just going, oh, that's so silly. Why would I do that? And she released her shoulders and just felt that her breath could flow a little more easily. When we notice we're holding tension in particular areas of our body, the first thing we're going to do, we're not going to leave ourselves in that position. The natural inclination, which I believe is our natural inclination towards 
well-being is to release tension, to go, oh, wow, I'm not sitting quite as balanced as I could or these little twists or turns or niggles. So the first piece is simply relaxation. And even taking 30 seconds to do a body scan, we wait a lot. We wait in lines and shopping centers. We are waiting in traffic. These are great opportunities to do a body scan, a quick body scan. And this relaxation response, first of all, is being found to have all sorts of health benefits. Without knowing it, we ever so slightly carry with maybe a fight-flight response even. We don't even realize that that grinding of our jaw or the tightening in the shoulders or the way that we're breathing really shallowly is kind of a little residue in a subtle way of a stress response. And for some people, we might be feeling full-blown anxious or stressed. But for a lot of us, as we're going about our day, we kind of don't even notice that we're carrying a bit of stress. And so as we relax, we help let go of that little bit of that stress response, which is linked to a little more stress hormones compared to feel-good hormones that we could have. So we begin to tip the balance. We relax. And it's like a seesaw in the children's playground. So I look at it like a seesaw. You are sitting on the one end and you've got stress hormones. And when you relax, your feel-good hormones naturally start freeing up. You feel a little more relaxed. You feel a little calmer. And we might even start to feel a little happier. And I'll speak a little bit about that in a moment. So, so our stress hormones and our feel-good hormones are like on a seesaw. When one is up, the other is down. When your feel-good hormones are up, your stress hormones are down. And this is an interesting thing to keep in mind, is that this internal balance, from moment to moment throughout day, it can get tipped. And when we know, oh, wow, there's something small I can do. The first one, I call them mindful body moments in my book, The Mindful Body. And these are really small interventions you can add to help tip, tip the seesaw, tip the scale towards your feel-good. So that's the first piece is relaxation. And the second piece that's almost more exciting than that is that when we begin to relax, our brain starts to think a bit more clearly. When we are carrying a level of tension, even if you can imagine tightening your shoulders slightly, what happens in the brain, and they can now see it, and I can kind of feel it, imagine feeling it, is your brain goes into a short circuit and begins to think in a more limited way. You have less access to your wonderful, mature part of your brain that is responsible for your logical and creative and actually compassionate thinking. So all these wonderful abilities to be our intelligent version of ourselves come online a little, become a little more available when we are relaxed. So those are a couple of the benefits of a simple intervention like a body scan. I sometimes find I can be stuck in a rut in my thinking or feel myself really caught up in something, a story in my mind or a worry. And a simple body scan, suddenly I can begin to notice my surroundings more clearly. I come into the present moment. This is the mindfulness piece. I come to my senses a little bit more. And it can be like, wow, I didn't even notice there was this beautiful scenery around me. So I wanted to add that piece, kind of like a relaxing and a waking up a little bit. Yeah, I think most of us know by now that our body is doing something when we're stressed, but we don't always realize that we can flip that around and start with the body to affect our emotions or our state of mind. But that is such a powerful realization. I was first introduced to that concept through 
Amy Cuddy's TED Talk on power posing. And I love that trick. I just mentioned it in last week's episode, and I've been using it even more this last week. So I'm excited to learn that besides just feeling more powerful, there are all these other tips and tricks we can use to alter our feelings, our moods, even our physical states. But how does this really work? Are we just such a predictable species that these little tricks always work with everyone? Or are they subjective based on each person and their life experiences? Our body is a mirror. So yes, it is actually expressing our state of mind. So when we're just going about our day and we're thinking our thoughts, when we tune into our body, what we're actually getting is a read of our state. So let's say we've just been arbitrarily going around. I spoke about earlier carrying slight residue of stress response, which is very, very common in most people around. You know, sit in a coffee shop and do some people watching. It's very rare you'll see someone, unless they've come out of a yoga class, being really calm and centered and open and with the smile on their face. Most people are consumed and there's a furrow in their brow and their shoulders are tense. So our bodies are a mirror. What is the empowering piece is realizing, as you said, that when we begin to look at that mirror, we can begin to do something about it. And I like to say, on a body level, there's always something you can do, and it profoundly can make a difference to the way that you feel. So is this different from person to person? What I look at it is related to the skill of mindfulness. And the skill of specifically in this case, body mindfulness. So becoming more aware of how my body is responding can allow me to grow the skill of being more conscious to be a little more relaxed. There's a lot of beautiful research about coming from a heart-centered place, from a compassionate place, and what that does to your nervous system and on many levels to our brain and our optimal thinking. So to really work with our attitude from the body outwards, that's where the difference comes in, is that a lot of people who are not exposed are just going to be at the mercy of their body as a mirror. And physical ailments and injuries also fall into this category. And we can use them in that way, not to blame and say, this is a bit of a dangerous territory of, well, I blame my physical illness on something I've done wrong. Sometimes we have existential crises in a way and a symptom arrives and we might want to consider what does this mean to me in my life? What is the message? So I like to work with it very positively rather than saying I've caused it. And there is some connection also between habitual ways of holding our bodies, habitual attitudes and our state of health. So the skill and the differential in people is often mindfulness. And mindfulness, as I'm sure you know, has become so widespread that, and there are different approaches to mindfulness. What I love about the body mindfulness approach is the immediacy. You can shift not only just to a calm, centered, clearer place, but also in kind of a playful way. You spoke about power poses. Other ways we can become playful with our bodies and our attitudes. At times we might want to invite some loving kindness and placing your hand on your heart can really invite that. There's a famous public speaker I used to say, if you want to come across sincere, place your hand on your heart. It's kind of a, not always used in the best context. It conveys sincerity, no matter if you really mean it or not. But I find every time I touch my chest, I often take a deep breath and then it reminds me, oh, wow, there's a me inside of here and there's a heart and I can come more from that place. If you want to really loosen up your energy, free up your inspiration, 
that's often why we'll go for a walk or do some exercise or dance like there's nobody watching, is to be able to free up and loosen our link with dopamine, which is really our fun and excitement and novelty aspect of ourselves that we can tune into simply through our movement. So these are some of the ways that I really enjoy having been a dancer, the various ways that we can almost become playful. And for many people, they take to meditation practice and for others, they might not. And no matter if one does or does not, you can always become body mindful. And the idea of reconnecting with our bodies, I'm just so intrigued by, especially as women. Most of us can relate to hating our bodies, which is basically rejecting that part of ourselves. So obviously we would be disconnected. One of the things I've been trying, thanks to a recent guest, Lonnie on episode 40, for listeners who are interested, is to start my mornings with movement, especially dancing and not performance type dancing, which I think is what a lot of us get used to, trying to be sexy and impress other people, but just really dance for myself and trying to really get into and feel these different parts of my body. It almost seems like tribal movements. I like to try it with my voice as well, trying to make sounds that use parts that aren't usually used because it's too embarrassing. There's something about it that feels extra satisfying, using these parts of my body that aren't often used. But it sounds like there's a scientific base to that. So a little bit of the scientific base in very general terms is when we come into a state of presence, a state of mindfulness, we actually use different parts of our brain than when we're drifting off in our thoughts. So this present-mindedness develops our areas, for example, of our prefrontal cortex that help us. There's one area, for example, called the insula. There's actually apparently two of them that help you become aware of your body. But not only that, they're also associated with empathy. And they're parts of your prefrontal cortex that help you regulate your emotions that also become that much more readily available through this mindfulness of your body. So some of the signs backing it is just exciting of almost like common sense. I love that dance in the morning and to be able to do it in an exploratory way. For me, it always helps to set a tone like a personal freedom or a sense of feeling a little more in control of my physicality as opposed to this idea of our body simply being a machine. We wake up, we have a shower or get dressed and feed it and go off and do our day as opposed to really having a moment. And I absolutely advocate this. And you have mentioned a beautiful way to do it, to wake up and dance your bodies to the music of your own emotions or feelings or just exploring different parts of your body. Another practice that some people like to do that can be done in a matter of a couple of minutes is to just wake up in the morning at some point before entering into the day is to just sit, place your hand on your heart, place a little smile on your face and send out goodwill. Send out goodwill to your loved ones, your community, out into the world, and then back to yourself. Or some people enjoy the body scan, is just to have a good stretch to wake up just early enough to be able to have a silent moment to connect with my body, to do a little body scan, to connect with my heart, to open my heart. And there's beautiful work around 
for example, some ancient Buddhist meditations are f- receiving a lot of uh, scientific research at the moment. For example, loving kindness meditation and the power of not only tuning into your heart, but taking a f- even a few seconds to just send love out. And I feel, I mentioned in our conversation in the beginning that I have two daughters and the youngest is four years old. And for anyone who has children, four years old is a delightful and a challenging age for little people. They love to be a little bit defiant and the morning routine is a time when that can happen. And so it can be chaotic to get the older one to school on time when the younger one doesn't want to play along. And for me, I find just taking those few minutes of stillness in the morning or sometimes I use a little bit of movement or some yoga and a bit of a body scan and then send love out. I feel like I can deal so much better. I'm often so much calmer through the moments and a little more creative. So I might think of a fun way to adapt the morning routine or not force that she eats breakfast before she gets into the car, but just take it along and let her eat it at the beginning of her day because it's preschool anyway. It's not so strict. A looseness, creativity, resourcefulness becomes available to me. And I can sometimes notice the difference really clearly between mornings when I do do the practices and mornings when I kind of wake up a little late and I'm rushed and just rush into the day. Yeah, me too. Mornings are like my favorite part of the day. It's like a mini reset to start anew. And I think it's because everything's a cycle. And as humans, we feel the need to start at the beginning of a cycle. And starting on a new day seems so much more accessible than waiting for a full moon cycle or season cycle or year cycle. But I also want to touch on that example you used about your daughter eating breakfast and wanting her to eat breakfast before you go, but realizing she can eat it on the way. We get into these limited thinking patterns. And the more stressed we are, the narrower our thinking gets. I don't have a child, but I do have a husband. And I know that when I'm emotionally triggered, sometimes I get so focused on that one thing I'm trying to get across that I seem to completely lose the ability to just zoom out for a second and realize, oh yeah, there are multiple paths to the same destination. Doesn't have to be just one way. When we come back, we'll learn how to erase negative emotions. Yes, you heard that right. And the most helpful body hacks for everyday life. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. 
He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. A lot of your triggers involve touch, like placing your hand on your neck or tapping your heart or even things we do instinctively like crossing our arms. So to make this as effective as possible, do we need to stick to these natural patterns that we have as humans, like the instinctive ones of crossing our arms? Or can we actually make up symbolic reminders for ourselves also? Yes and yes. They are absolutely part of our human condition. And this is another way that I love to people watch is if you observe people just mindlessly on a journey or even sitting at a coffee shop, people are constantly rubbing their neck or playing with their hair, rubbing their lower back. And what I've found is that this is always an attempt actually to self-soothe or to give ourselves support. So instinctively, and even with others, if others around us or a loved one is not feeling well or becomes hurt, we might reach out to their hand or place a hand around their shoulders or try to comfort them in a quite a physical way. So this is our, a human instinct to try and soothe. Often we do it though so quickly that it doesn't have the effectiveness that it could have. So for example, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'll often catch myself rubbing my forehead or brushing over my eyes. And when I catch myself doing that, I would invite myself to support that very area that I instinctively touched a little bit more consciously. In some of the research, they're saying 20 seconds or 30 seconds. It gives your body and your brain, your nervous system, a little more time to take in, to absorb those 
feelings so that it can tip that scale, that seesaw we spoke about earlier towards your feel-good hormones. And oxytocin is the one, that snuggle hormone that they speak about, that helps you feel intimate and intimate with yourself, intimate with others. Sense of connection that touch seems to wake up in us. Touch can release oxytocin in a matter of seconds. So I find that little bit of support of just instinctively rubbing my hands over my eyes. If I consciously then invite myself to do it for a few seconds longer, it seems to have an amplified and even bigger effect. So again, the difference here is mindfulness, like before, is doing it consciously when I catch myself in a moment of instinctively self-soothing. And the more we become mindful, the more we can also decide to use touch consciously. So a nice one for me, many people are able with practice to contact heartfelt energy without placing their hand on the heart. But in times of stress, for many of us, placing a hand or sometimes it's even just my fingers on my sternum in the middle of my chest can just remind me, it's almost like my body gets the message a lot quicker than my mind imagining my heart energy. My body gets the message and remembers my heart. So we can begin to consciously incorporate it. We will always instinctively use our touch and to begin to use it even more consciously so that it can benefit us even more and also benefit others if someone's going through a rough time and at some point, or just wanting to display our connection with each other, with our partners, with our children, with our loved ones, to massage their hand or give a foot massage, just to be able to be quite tactile in our contact conveys so much to our nervous system, because on some level, we are animals underneath of our sophisticated brains. We're very receptive to our physical input. And a very big part of that is physical touch. That kind of reminds me of how if you've ever taken a workout class, especially a Pilates class, sometimes the instructor will tell you to squeeze the outer part of your glutes or something and you're clenching and then she comes around and touches it and suddenly you realize you were squeezing everything else except for that exact spot. But it's so cool how instinctive our body is with what we need. If I need to be soothed, I might rub my neck or almost hug myself. If I feel insecure, I might fold my arms to put my guard up. So I love the idea of adding extra intention to these actions because if we're instinctively doing it, then we obviously need it. So then on top of that, to add intention, to send loving energy there feels almost like doing self-reiki. It's kind of like when somebody else mindlessly hugs you, you can just kind of feel it compared to the person who listens and recognizes you need a hug and puts their heart into it and holds space for what you're feeling. So to be able to do that for yourself seems so powerful. Absolutely. And the beauty of all of this consciousness, mindfulness, and specifically body mindfulness is what they're finding with, for example, meditation practice, that is another way to really anchor yourself in mindfulness that is actually thickening parts of your brain, particularly your prefrontal cortex, which is your most mature part of your brain. So what this is showing is that the more that we practice, it's actually developing our brain so that our brain and our mindfulness can be more 
immediately available to us. So in the beginning, we need to think and remind ourselves, okay, let me sit in the morning, send heart-based feelings outwards, do my compassion practices or move my body. And eventually, years down the line, it can become more and more automatic. And I love that. I love that the input is we need to remind ourselves and we will get better. We will get better at it with practice because it actually is physically, physiologically developing us. I love this whole field of neuroplasticity of how the brain changes. These are real things. We are changing through these practices. And when people speak about a consciousness shift, I believe that the way that mindfulness has become so mainstream, yoga has become so mainstream, is causing a lot more people to be doing the practices, which is developing people's brains to be able to be more securely positioned from that perspective, even if we're not there all the time, it's kind of like we have a clear idea of what that is, and we will be more likely to return to that mindfulness. So that also excites me a lot, the way that we actually are changed by these practices. I totally agree, because it can be overwhelming or almost exhausting, really, just bringing awareness to all of these things that we're used to just letting happen automatically in the background of our day. But knowing that with each decision, I'm strengthening my neural connections one way or the other is really motivating for me. Like there's light at the end of the tunnel. And also it helps me not to be complacent because letting it slip one time isn't the same as just putting something off. It's actually deepening the negative pattern, whereas making a conscious choice to do better strengthens the new habit, putting me one step closer to making it automatic. And then just think of how cool that would be when all of these amazing habits are just your automatic response. I feel like I've said this a lot in the last few episodes, but I love it and I just think it's such a great visual metaphor, but of creating a new path in the woods. Maybe the only clear path through the woods, your old way of doing things, is full of snakes and poison ivy. So it's necessary to create a new path, but it's going to take work. First, just leaving breadcrumbs for yourself. Then you start recognizing landmarks. Then through trotting it again and again, just like this new habit, the new path becomes deeper than the old path. And eventually, the old path is covered over and you'll be so proud of yourself for putting in the extra work. I also have this thing I say to clients. So earlier you were speaking about observing body language and the body as a mirror. One of the ways that I work as a psychologist is use that information in session. So we'll bring awareness to not only what the person's saying, but what their body is communicating. So we'll be working in the space of building awareness, and then we'll be looking at interventions to build in. I like to give homework, for example. So I spoke about perhaps a morning practice, and you gave a great example of movement. So there might have been a tough process someone gets through, and maybe I'll invite them to just be in touch with their heart in the morning for a few seconds before they go about their day, and then to let it go. So this is a piece that I know can be a downfall for these real genuine seekers who want change. is to almost obsess about the process or the mindfulness or the need to practice. So I also love this idea that with these mindful body moments in the field of positive psychology and neuroscience that really backs this with how the brain changes, they say if you can add a few interventions, maybe three or four mini moments, could be 30 seconds pauses in the middle of work or between things or while you're waiting, 
30-second pauses a few times a day of this mindful awareness is really what it takes to create this kind of mindfulness shift, not obsessing about it, because then we're beginning to use those. We're walking down those snake, like those scary old pathways. Actually, we continue walking down those even with our obsession, when we're beating ourselves up, when we're pressurizing ourselves so we can be enthusiastic, but we also need to apply our mindfulness to go, okay, well, this is my capacity. And today I've got these five books. I'm just the same. I've got this pile of books and I love information and cannot keep up with my field, for example, of how the body is involved in our psychology. And there's really only so much you can do in a day. And on days where I do push it too far, I will feel it. It's almost like my mindfulness gauge will be turned down. I'll be feeling exhausted and depleted and I'll find myself irritable and snapping at people around me. So it's, it's an interesting thing to find that balance and to realize, like with my clients, I say, fine, we've done the work and then leave it. Do your little pieces of homework and then leave it. Live. I love that because it gives you more time to apply what you've learned and really start to make it a lifestyle. As you were talking, I was reminded to do a mini body scan. And what I find most often when I do those, aside from holding tension in areas that I don't need it, is realizing that I'm not breathing very deeply. My natural breathing tends to be pretty short, which I've noticed is common in other people. In episode eight, I discussed the Wim Hof method. And Wim Hof is this guy who's broken all these barriers of what we thought were humanly possible, like doing an ice bath for two hours and climbing Mount Everest in shorts, basically things where the average person would just die. But he's been able to not only do it, but thrive while he's doing it. And his body temperature doesn't even drop. And his method consists of mindfulness and breathing exercises. Well, it really goes to show you how much more powerful the body can be if we just give it what it needs. And the biggest things are breath, water, nutrition, so if I could train my body to breathe deeper in its natural state without having to bring focus to that anymore, what could I be capable of? <laughs> Absolutely. And this calming breathing, it's definitely an intervention to calm ourselves, to be able to take a slightly shorter inhalation, slightly longer exhalation. I like to count three in and then five out. Let's just slightly lengthen that exhalation. And the more we can do that, maybe we take three to five breaths or a few more, depends how worked up we are. That's a nice, simple intervention to help to begin the calming response, that relaxation response that really is stimulated on exhalation. It's a nice way for maybe for you to explore while you're dancing or while you're going about your day or in a moment when you do the body scan, maybe even to do the body scan with a slightly longer exhalation as you move through awareness of the different parts of your body. Because our breath is absolutely intimately linked with our emotions and our state. There was an Aristotle quote I read once, like what would be left of your anger or your frustrations if your breath weren't short and your body weren't tense and you weren't hot in the face? What would be left of it if you were calm all the time? You wouldn't be feeling the emotions. Our emotions are physiological states. It's almost like they're different entry points to mindfulness. Breathing is a great way to help regulate our relaxation, to help encourage us to live from a calmer and clearer place. Absolutely. 
My husband Shane always reminds me that you can't hold negative emotions in a completely relaxed state. And that is a powerful realization because stress can feel so all-consuming. It affects your body, your mood, your immune response, your energy level. So if we can just logically break down what happens when we're stressed, tense shoulders, shortness of breath, narrowed focus, and then just consciously reverse them one by one, drop our shoulders, relax the body, breathe deeply, and move our focus to the periphery, a little trick we learned in episode 33, which also decreases anxiety. But then suddenly the stress is just gone. Everybody wants a magic pill and they're willing to take these prescriptions with all of these side effects. But these small tweaks are like the most holistic magic pill for stress. And the important thing to remember is that that in itself is not solving your problem, is your emotions are responding with valuable information often to what's going on in front of you, even though we often blow things out of proportion. That's a separate conversation. But we are having valid responses to what's in front of us and maybe valid responses based on our histories. And as we reduce our physiological response, breathing, shoulders, just those checkpoints in a way of helping us to come to a calmer, clearer place, what happens? We can maybe think a little more clearly. We can have a little bit more energy available to be able to apply calmer mindset, clearer, more creative thinking to whatever it is that's in front of us. So we'll be like a cleverer version of ourselves to deal with whatever it is. So we're not ignoring what's in front of us that's caused us to feel so inflamed, we are reducing our level of activation so that we can deal with it better. So we're not just tricking our bodies, we're actually changing the way our brain will respond and will handle things better in the future in general. I'm curious because a lot of this does have to do with human touch. Well, I have a guy friend from college and he literally coils at human touch. People who love hugs like me and can feel the power of a good hug and the healing value of them, I think assume that if these non-touchers just felt how good it feels, just let go for a second, they'd eventually love it. Like, I will force hug you. Why do some people love touch and others don't? Does it always have to do with nurture and how someone was raised? Well, actually, touch is a touchy subject for many people. All sorts of things can influence our touch tolerance, all things from trauma through to just our personality or the kind of upbringing we had that was more expressive or demonstrative using touch or not. So it's like what our nervous system becomes used to, and we need to respect that. I remember a study about couples and they were looking at what is the healthy exchange of touch between couples to establish that they're in a healthy relationship. And it's not how many times one partner touches, reaches over to put their hand on a leg or hold a hand. That's not the indicator of a healthy relationship. It's how many times the recipient responds with touch. And for me, that hits the nail on the head with this 
touch is we need to be respectful. We need to be very mindful that people have their reasons and they may have a whole journey to go on where touch is not the intervention or the most immediate one and where it can actually have an effect of sending people further into their, whether it's disgust or their trauma response or their aversion. And it's just to be respected. It's for us always to be on the lookout, even with our children, I think his name is Gary Chapman, who writes the five love languages and is now applying it also with children, is some children are just more tactile. I know even with my two daughters, one loves affection and always wants to be curled on your lap. And the other one is in her own world and not really so interested and will give you a side on hug when you say hello, goodbye, and that's about it. And that seems to be woven into her personality. So If I were to go, oh, I just want to love you up and snuggle and cuddle, it would be to some extent disrespectful. So it's about also being aware this is what I like and these are the people that I can enjoy that with. And with those people, I need to find other ways. And for some people who are very affectionate, it can actually be a personal growth challenge to be able to pull back a little bit and hold your center in the presence of someone and not feel rejected in the presence of somebody who simply may, for their own reasons that you may never know, not enjoy, appreciate, or be able to respond to touch in the same way that you do. In touch research, there's quite a lot of touch research going on. They even speak about safe zones, you know, to test in the safe zones of comforting somebody on a shoulder or coming in mindfully slowly as opposed to like diving in. There's also cultural differences, which are interesting. Japanese meeting your Latino, you've got that same dynamic. And there you've got a cultural influence, a culture that really promotes this outgoingness versus one that's more introspective and respectful and quiet. So there's many, many things that can play into that. And being respectful is a very important lesson. I'm just glad my dog's love language is touch because sometimes I feel like Lenny and of mice and men. <laughs> oh my God. He's looking at me from across the room like mom. No. Anyways, out of all of these mindful body hacks, since it's hard to remember all of them in one sitting, which do you think are the most helpful to keep in mind to help us out in the average day-to-day? A great one, if you're in an argument and you're feeling like you've just been swept away or like you just cannot see eye to eye or find your way through, if you're standing, place your two feet really evenly on the ground. And if you're sitting, place your two hips really evenly on your seat and your two feet evenly on the ground. And this sends a message of balance back up to your brain and can help you just center and ground enough to contain your own emotions and swing it in a different direction. The catch here is don't put your hands on your hips while you're doing that because then you're going into a power pose. That's a declaration of war. (laughs) Also, when feeling really emotional, I once had a client who just cried and cried, this kind of endless cry that didn't seem to complete or feel satisfying. It didn't seem to have a natural bell curve. And I invited her on the one day to just experiment with putting her two feet on the ground and her two hips more evenly on the seat. And she just sat up and within literally a second or two, she looked me in the eyes and her tears almost instantly dried. And she's like, what just happened? It can be that noticeable. So that's one offering is 
two feet on the ground. Another one I like, because I like this hand to your heart, without anyone noticing it, and I'll often just tap or touch with my fingers on the sternum in the middle of my chest, middle of the breastbone. And the little tapping will sometimes be like saying, hey, you in there, let's bring some heart. And in so doing, it can soften my demeanor, which can make me say something a little different that can help soften the situation or ease my stress if I'm swirling in negativity. And of course, we mentioned before the body scan to help relax the body so that you can think more clearly. That's so cool and so easy to do. The hard part is when you're actually in an argument and your brain goes into tunnel vision. So it will be a little bit harder to have that awareness and think, wait, let me calm myself down here. But it's through practicing mindfulness and bringing this extra perspective of awareness to everything that we do that starts to just make this a way of life. So the trick is to catch it and simmer down your ego enough to say, I'd rather be happy than right. From there, just give yourself a little heartfelt reminder by tapping your heart or putting your hand on your heart. And then bring in a tip we learned from episode 33 for reducing anxiety and bring your awareness to your peripheral vision. Then you're not only dissipating that tunnel vision, but you're now reminding yourself to act from the heart. Listeners, I have been using that periphery trick whenever I feel myself suddenly worked up about something and it works. So I'm excited to try these two together. That's super powerful. So our physical posture and gestures seem to say a lot about us, both from our nature, like in the example with kids who don't like touch, and even our current state of emotions, like being able to tell if someone's stressed out. So it seems like learning to identify those things could be a pretty useful people skill. Do you have any tips for using that skill in a helpful way rather than just being judgmental about who we think someone might be? In a way, personality profiling from a very embodied perspective and a way to help you engage with more people, maybe understand more people. And there are four different personality types that tend to have the energy of these four different postures. And I'm going to run through them. And they're also quick little things. The first one you mentioned is power pose. And people don't necessarily always stand with their hands on their hips, but they might have their chest nice and big and their head up tall and they exude confidence. And they're like strong personalities, upright personalities, hard not pushovers. Contrasting personality to that would be those who tend to really gravitate to the hand on the heart kind of experience, being the people who feel a lot, who are nurturing, who are caring. So if you're a caring, nurturing person, speaking to a dominant, power-posing kind of person, you're going to probably be intimidated. And so through, for example, Amy Cuddy's research, she was saying, just stand for two minutes. I actually find it can be quicker than that, but her research, two minutes in a power pose before you're going into an interview when you need to boost your confidence, or if you are going into a confrontational conversation with somebody let's say in your office or someone you encounter in your family who has this inner strength, this inner dominance in a way, to be able to match it a little better because often we trigger each other because we're different. We don't seem to like differences in each other. And there are a couple more that I'll leave it with those two because those two are two that are seen quite often is this difference between your confidence, 
or your confident types and being able to boost that by simply standing in a power pose like Wonder Woman, like Superman with hands on your hips, head up tall, deep breath into your chest and noticing how that literally begins to boost your testosterone, which is your confidence hormone, and lower your cortisol, which is your stress hormone. So a really handy tip that you can use on the spot to also help manage anxiety if you need to enter into any situation that feels particularly challenging. Or at other times, we need to call on a little bit of heart. And sometimes a dominant personality might be in the presence of somebody who's really feeling person, who's sensitive, who's not so confident, and that can be triggering. But if that person is a leader, a great leader is able to shapeshift a little bit, to be able to contact more kind of people in their audience. Quite a bit in the corporate context, we look at building leadership skills and saying, how can you increase your ability to engage more people? And so, for example, if you're delivering a talk, you might want to have moments where you're in more of a power kind of pose and moments where you really have to remind yourself with hand on your heart to speak to those who are more sensitive in nature, maybe quieter, who are the shoulders to cry on, the people who really need each other in a quieter kind of way. So those are just a few of what I've called mindful body moments. I like to think of it as playing with your body. Well, full disclosure, I've been playing with my body wrong since I was 12. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for these super actionable tips. I was going through your book right before this interview, and there are so many more cool little tips and tricks that we didn't even have time to cover today. So I highly recommend listeners check it out. For those interested in learning more about you and your book, The Mindful Body, where can they connect online? I have a website at noahballing.com. So that is Noah, N-O-A, Balling, B-E-L-L-I-N-G.com. And I also update my Facebook page fairly often, which is Noah Belling. And also my publisher, Rockville Publishing, internationally, as well as Penguin Random House in South Africa, are also great resources to be able to follow the journey of the mindful body as it comes out into the world, which it really has begun its journey in February this year. This is really where my focus is now, is launching the book, speaking about it, engaging with people around it. And thank you for the opportunity to do just that. Who is as excited as I am to go out and apply these newly learned body hacks? As I said in the beginning, once you learn the patterns, they're actually pretty easy to get. Picture yourself as a child in therapy, drawing her feelings. What does exaggerated happy look like? Smiles. Where does love come from? The heart. Let's tap that. Feeling out of balance? Even out your posture. Stand firmly on two feet. The cool thing about energy is it can be transformed. And working with things on an energetic level is working with your thoughts because thoughts are energy too. The problem is our thoughts are pretty heavy sometimes. So now we can actually do something, move our bodies in a way that persuades our thoughts. And that is pretty freaking awesome. All of the links mentioned in this episode, including a link to the Mindful Body book, are at mindlove.com slash 045. I'm also putting the TED Talk on power posing there because it's a great example of body mindfulness in action. 
Also, I know sometimes it's hard to remember everything you learned in a podcast. So I'm going to hop on Instagram this week to do a few of these with you and teach you a few body hacks we did not cover in this episode. So be sure to meet me there at Mind Love Podcast. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Morning Mind Love to keep your vibes up between episodes, which you can do right on the homepage of mindlove.com or text the word morning to 33777. That's it for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 